Election College, Episode 133. It's your favorite and ours. It's Andy Jack. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason. (laughs) It's like one of our favorite nicknames to use. I know. Andrew Jackson, Andy Jack. A lot of people probably hate that, but uh, we like to be playful, and that's his name. So, Andrew Jackson, born in 1767. Yeah, and kind of... A crazy beginning for Andrew Jackson. He was born in an area that, well, we don't know if it's in North Carolina or South Carolina. It's in an area that was occupied by many Scotch-Irish people, which, Ben, uh-huh. we are, might be related to some of those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the the hill country people. Sure. And the Jackson family were very much supporters of the American Revolution. And yeah, there's a lot to say about those first years. And uh, well, let's hop into it. Yeah. Yeah. Before they went down to North or South Carolina, whichever one it was, uh, they probably got to North America via Philadelphia. And well, I guess it's kind of hard to get there directly from Philadelphia, but you know what I mean. And then they traveled down through the Appalachian Mountains uh, into that region there in the North and South Carolina border kind of thing. Andrew Jackson's father actually died in an accident at the age of 29. And the remarkable thing or the interesting thing is that it was actually three weeks before Andrew Andrew Jackson was born. Uh, So... They actually don't know exactly where Andrew Jackson was born um, because during that trip where his mother went to bury his father, uh, she gave birth. So uh, there wasn't, you know, they weren't in a hospital. They weren't even in a house or anything. Um, they, they didn't even know exactly where they were to be able to tell anybody else. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because later in his life, for political reasons, he would have said, yeah, I was born at my uncle's plantation in Lancaster County, South Carolina, but he might have just done that because, well, there was some political advantage of having South Carolina on your side. So um, it's disputed, and what we do know is that he started growing up, (laughs) and his family was very much in support of doing away with British rule. And during the Revolutionary War, Jackson is 13 years old. He started helping the local militia as a courier. And his older brother, Hugh, died from heat exhaustion during the Battle of Stono Ferry in 1779. And his brother, Robert, along with Andy Jack, they were captured by the British and they were held as prisoners. And they nearly starved to death. And when Jackson refused to clean the boots of an officer, a British officer, 
the officer slashed Andy Jack with a sword and it left scars on his left hand and his head. And it also caused Andy Jack to really hate the British. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) (laughs) So while they were uh, in prison there, they actually all contracted smallpox. And eh, that's probably not a great reason to like the British either, even though it probably wasn't directly their fault. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) After Robert Jackson died on April 27th of 1781, Elizabeth was able to get the brothers... Um, out and was able to get them released and um, you know the the doctors and everything said that Andy Jack he'll recover they called him Andy Jack back then uh, they said he'll recover and so she actually volunteered to um, help out prisoners of war and be a nurse to them and you know there was a lot of outbreak of disease and cholera and stuff like that but she actually contracted the disease and died and was buried in an unmarked grave and so Andy Jack, at age 14, is destitute. He's an orphan. And this just, you know, this is not good if you're the British people because Andy Andrew Jackson hates you even more. And when he's 14, that's not a big deal. But when he becomes president, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing about his mother being buried in an unmarked grave, that mm-hmm. really weighs heavy on him his whole life. He actually goes back to the area several times looking somehow for his mother's grave. And, of course, it's unmarked. So how are you going to find that? So he does not let go of that hatred at all. Look out, British. He's coming here for you in a few years. So Andrew Jackson actually gets a bit of an interesting education. And, you know, uh, things were not real stable in that area, especially at that time. But in 1781, he starts working for a saddle maker. And then shortly thereafter, he decides, you know, I'm a saddle maker and I know some stuff. I'll teach school. While I'm teaching school, I'll study law, just like every good president does. Yeah. So he's hanging out in the Western District of North Carolina, and that area eventually becomes Tennessee. But uh, he knew enough about law to be out on the frontier and serve as a lawyer out west. And because he wasn't from a well-known or wealthy family, he really needed to make his living and his career by his own skills as, well, a leading attorney, right? Yep. So he begins to really do well in this western wild western rough area and most of what he cut his teeth on were land claims or from assault and battery so he was appointed solicitor in 1788 of the western district and was in that same position in the government of the territory south of the river ohio after 1791 So what does that mean? It means that if you're out west, Andrew Jackson, (laughs) you want him on your side. Otherwise, watch out. So he gets elected as a delegate to the Tennessee Constitutional Convention in 1796. And, of course, Tennessee becomes a state. And he becomes a U.S. representative. And then a year later, he becomes a U.S. senator as a Democratic Republican. But... He's like, meh, (laughs) 
think I'm not going to do that. So he comes back to Tennessee, and in 1798, he becomes a judge of the Tennessee Supreme Court. Yeah. What a crazy time. What a, what a crazy turn of events for Andy Jack. It's like, I'm a prosecutor. <laughs> I'm a house person. I'm a house person? I'm a house. I'm a senator. <laughs> now uh, I'm a judge. Now I'm a judge. Now I am the Supreme Court. Come at me. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1794, uh, Andy Jack actually forms a business with another attorney, and uh, his name is John Overton, and they decide that they're going to go out and purchase lands, and they're going to um, purchase military, possibly military lands. And um, they really wanted to buy up and sell different land that had been kind of preserved or put aside for the Cherokee and the Chickasaw Indians uh, or Native Americans, um, whichever you prefer. Uh, The thing was that wasn't really legal. (laughs) The (laughs) land was already spoken for and was already promised to the Native Americans and um, he didn't care. They didn't care. So they were buying it and, and reselling it. So when he gets back from Florida, Jackson actually figures out how to sell the uh, land from the Chickasaw Nation in 1818. And this uh, you might have heard of the Jackson Purchase. This is the time when that happened. And then with the money, he turns around and helps found Memphis, Tennessee in 1819. So if you've been to Memphis, you can thank Andy Jack. Yeah. You're walking in Memphis. Jackson, he's a politician. Mm-hmm. He's a lawyer. And he becomes a planter and a slave owner. And he even builds a general store in Gallatin, Tennessee, which is near Nashville. In 1804, Jackson buys the Hermitage, which is a plantation near Nashville, Tennessee. And at its height, had over a thousand acres. And At the Hermitage, they grew cotton, and Jackson actually had slaves. He started with nine, and it is said that by 1820, he had 150 slaves, and then they say that throughout his life, he had as many as 300 slaves. Yeah, so on the Hermitage, uh, Andy Jack kept uh, African Americans uh, as slaves in three different sections. Uh, so some slaves would live in the extended family units and there'd be, you know, between five and 10 people there. And they were living in 20 square foot cabins. Um, they would be either made out of bricks or logs, but nothing real fancy. And basically this sounds terrible and it is terrible. Don't get me wrong, but the size and quality of the, the quarters that they had were like huge compared to the majority of others. They were able to acquire food. They were able to get guns and knives and fishing equipment and hunt and fish in general. And at times he even did pay his slaves uh, and they were able to go to local markets and um, trade and things like that. Again, not saying they weren't slaves. They were slaves and that's not cool. But uh, they had a lot more... Um, freedoms uh, uh, given to them than some other slaves did at the time. So the Hermitage, you know, it was definitely a profit-making deal for Jackson. Um, He didn't have to pay uh, legally, at least, any of his slaves. Um, He did think that, yeah, um, I'm going to let them be whipped because if 
Um, if they've done something bad, they're going to be whipped and they'll increase productivity. Uh, but, you know, overall, uh, the slaves were um, treated better than other slaves around. Um, but still, slavery, you know, not a good thing. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit. In 1801, Jackson was appointed commander of the Tennessee militia, and he was a colonel at the time. And then a year later, he was elected as major general of the Tennessee militia. So we all know about a decade later, there's a big war that breaks out, the War of 1812. And during this war, Chief Tecumseh, you've heard of him, right? He encouraged the Red Stick Creek Indians of northern Alabama and Georgia to attack white settlements. He had unified uh, several tribes in the Northwest to rise up against the Americans, and this was all in an effort to repel the Americans from the lands north of the Ohio River. And 400 settlers were killed in the Fort Mims Massacre in 1813, and that's one of the few instances where Native Americans actually kill a large number of American settlers, as well as slaves. And this brought the United States into war, effectively, with the Native Americans. So the campaign against the Creek Indians saw Jackson go into action. So you had people like Sam Houston and Davy Crockett all serving under Jackson in this campaign. And the Americans defeated the Red Sticks at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend in 1814. And there were 800 Red Stick warriors in the battle. But they spared the chief uh, named Red Eagle. And uh, he w- Red Eagle was also known as William Weatherford. So Jackson defeats the Red Sticks at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend in 1814. And it's pretty fierce fighting, but it was pretty conclusive. And the war ended with the Creeks with the Treaty of Fort Jackson. And the Native Americans actually came up with a nickname for Andy Jack. Go figure. He had a lot of nicknames. And they called him Jackson Old and Fierce. Yeah, so Jackson, old and fierce, moves along, and he goes into the War of 1812, which, of course, is going on at the same time uh, as previous uh, engagements he was in, and uh, he was against the United Kingdom here. And, you know, remember what we told you earlier, he hates the British, so uh, he's really going to kind of put a a butt-kicking on him, I guess you could say. Uh, So British forces come in to New Orleans, and Jackson says, I'm in command of the defenses. Uh, I'm going to take command. I'm going to go out with the militias from a bunch of different areas, and it's okay because people like me, and they think I'm tough. And that's where he gets the name Old Hickory, by the way. He's tough as Old Hickory. And he goes out, and in the Battle of New Orleans, uh, Jackson's 5,000 soldiers actually win a victory over the British's 7,500. And so at the end of everything, the British have over 2,000 casualties, and the Americans had just 71 casualties. So uh, the Battle of New Orleans was a pretty decisive victory for Jackson. And then shortly later, Jackson uh, orders the arrest of the district judge, Dominic A. Hall. 
he had signed over a uh, writ of habeas corpus on behalf of somebody that Jackson had arrested. And Jackson says, hey, I arrested him. I don't think you should give him a pass on this. And Jackson says, uh, okay, martial law. That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Not just my area where my men are, but the whole town is under martial law. Yeah, so Jackson, I mean, definitely old and fierce. <laughs> and um, a few years later, he serves in the First Seminole War, and he was ordered by President Monroe to lead a campaign in Georgia against the Seminole and Creek Indians. And he was charged with preventing Spanish Florida for becoming a refuge for runaway slaves. And so the instructions given to Jackson were, hey, stop the conflict, terminate that bad boy. But Jackson thought the best way to do that was to seize Florida from Spain (laughs) once and for all. I guess that'll work. Yeah. So Jackson says to Monroe, let it be signified to me through any channel that the possession of the Floridas would be desirable to the United States. And in 60 days, it will be accomplished. So the Seminole, they're like, you ain't coming down here. (laughs) And Jackson goes down there and says, you know what? The United States cannot be secure as long as Spain and the British encourage the Native Americans to fight. And he goes down there and captures Pensacola. And he deposes the Spanish governor. He executes two British subjects who had been supplying and advising the Indians. And, well, if you're a Seminole, you're going to be pretty fearful. Uh, They actually coin a new nickname for Andy Jack (laughs) called Sharp Knife. Yeah, so for anybody who complains that we call him Andy Jack, everybody gave him a nickname, okay? We were just the ones that came up with Andy Jack. Yeah. (laughs) So, really, John Quincy Adams, you know, he's the Secretary of State. He is in a situation where he's like, do I defend Jackson? Because, well, I believe in manifest destiny. And there's a little bit of disagreement between Monroe and Adams because, you know, what happened down here with Andy Jack? Was he being insubordinate or was he actually helping? But um, it all panned out to where Adams said that, hey, Jackson was okay. And that's how we got Florida. So, yeah, he becomes, Jackson actually becomes Florida's military governor. Uh, well, for about a half a year, yeah. 1821. And, well, I think we'll have to wait till next time to find out what happens after that, Jason. Yeah, he's been a busy guy so far. <laughs> uh, so here's a recap. He hates the British. He kicked a bunch of their butts. And he's mean to slaves and Indians. Yeah. Weird guy so far. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what would be really kind is if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. It helps us get this podcast in front of more awesome people just like you. Yeah. And if you want to say hey on social media, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Election College. And uh, just give us a little shout. And also we post like some crazy stuff that's not even about Election College on there. Um, you know, Jason will sometimes post articles from different sources and have some cool stuff that I like to read and had no idea. So 
maybe you will too. Yeah, we'll see you there. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.